Hello and welcome to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven. You can find me on socialworldpodcast.com and on Twitter at Dave Niven. It's a weekly podcast that engages with the social world in all its variety. It's got news, reviews, guests and opinions. And you're welcome. Oh, hello. Well, this is podcast number five in the series, uh, sponsored by David Niven Associates, and uh, you're very welcome. I'd like to welcome those of you who are regular listeners. Welcome back, and thanks for your feedback. I'd like to uh, welcome those that are new listeners and hope that you find it interesting. Uh, The good news is that this podcast is actually featuring in the top ten of iTunes' new and noteworthy sections, of society and culture, and in education. So, let's hope we can keep it up there. Today, I want to talk about a couple of things. Um, The first thing I want to talk about is the uh, witchcraft, if you like, the the abuse of children, and the national action plan that's been put together to tackle child abuse linked to faith or belief. Now, I'm going to quote a lot today from two particular sources and try and link them together. The first is an article that was in Social Work Today, Professional Social Work magazine, by Shahid Nakvi, A World of Abuse Where Witchcraft is Far More Than Fiction. And I'm going to interlink that with uh, the executive summary of the National Action Plan to actually tackle child abuse linked to faith or belief that was put together with a whole variety of the great and the good, uh, the government, uh, non-government, charities, etc., and child protection campaigners. Now, we all know that there have been some horrific cases reported in the media, and one of them that changed the face of child protection hugely happened when Victoria Climbier who was eight years old at the time, died in 2000. She was abused and tortured terribly, um, accused of being possessed by demons. And it was really shocking, very high profile. Um, Some of the things that were done to her were just terrible. Uh, Torture, pain, degradation, deprivation, everything you could possibly imagine all in the name of exorcising the demons. And the horrific circumstances of her death did lead to fundamental changes in child protection practice in England. Now, in 2006, Eleanor Stobart was commissioned by the government to write a report called Child Abuse Linked to Accusations of Possession and Witchcraft. And it concluded that the belief in witchcraft and possession by evil spirits was widespread. And moreover, it actually found that the belief was not confined to particular countries, cultures or religions, nor to recent migrants. And that, according to the article in Professional Social Work, confounded stereotypical assumptions and quite rightly too. They also mentioned in that article the equally shocking death of 15-year-old Christy Bamu, who was drowned in a bath on Christmas Day in 2010 during an exorcism after being repeatedly tortured by his sister 
and her boyfriend. Now, according to Stobart, there were only about 38 cases of abuse involving 47 children in which possession or witchcraft was proved to have been a factor. And that was between, that was actually between the years 2000 and 2006, so in a six-year period, which is really not very many when you think about it. However, however, uh, the belief is quite deeply held that that's only the tip of the iceberg. And about nearly 100 potential cases have been reviewed in that study. Um, and experts believe, as I said, that that's only the beginning of understanding this and there's far, far more to be discovered. So it takes me on to 2011 when Tim Loughton, who was then the uh, Under Secretary of State for the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Children and Families, he convened a group, a national working group, if you like, that was actually chaired by the Department for Education. And they were actually tasked with the idea of developing a national action plan for England. And it encouraged activity both on a national level and on a local level to raise awareness and an understanding of abuse that's linked to um, faith or belief. Uh, the other brief of this was to develop skills within practitioners and to support the communities to prevent this kind of abuse. In other words, raising awareness and reminding people that this fell totally, fairly and squarely within the remit of child abuse. Now, that plan was organised into four different particular themes, if you like. First one was to do with engaging the communities, as I just said. The second one was empowering practitioners. Thirdly, it was to support the victims and the witnesses to this, because obviously there was lots of witnesses, siblings, etc., who were totally traumatized by seeing what their brothers and sisters were made to go through. And the fourth one was actually managing to communicate key messages to professionals working in the field of child protection. Now, it made a statement at the beginning that said, child abuse is never acceptable, never acceptable. Wherever it occurs and whatever form it takes, abuse linked to belief, including belief in witchcraft or possession, is a horrific crime which is condemned by people of all cultures, all communities and all faiths. And this plan was intended to help raise awareness about it. And the National Working Group was, a, if you like, a combination of central government, local partners, faith leaders, voluntary sector organisations and the Metropolitan Police. And there was two or three prominent African charities represented um, in, in this group as well. Now, it didn't include, and this is quite important, I think, it didn't include child abuse within culture or faith context. For example, equally important, equally horrific situations such as female genital mutilation, mutilation or forced marriages and it didn't also consider situations for example where the abuse was um, in a religious setting in a religious community such as pedophiles um, abusing children in a religious setting uh, priests within the catholic church etc that we all know is a particularly horrific situation and that's still being teased out still being discovered and still have lots of challenges involved with it but it didn't include that so these were all excluded from this. Now, 
in the actual article in Professional Social Work, he quoted an organization called Witchcraft and Human Rights Information Network, which offered an online information resource. That's the Witchcraft and Human Rights Information Network. Now, Gary Foxcroft, who the founder of this network, has said that there's a lack of awareness, really, among professionals, and that remains an issue that's got to be addressed still. I mean, your main challenge, he said, is that your average social worker or health worker is going to find these issues extremely difficult to work with. And if you mention witchcraft, to the average person on the street, some of the first things they think about is Harry Potter or the films to do with that or some such um, fictional events that, that people think have been kind of made up for entertainment purposes. You couldn't be further from the truth. Now, research and, and policy development in this field is still relatively new, even though we've had a good couple of decades, if you like, of this being trickled out into public awareness. Um, there is an acceptance that Christianity appears to be the main religion uh, which, which uh, witchcraft is practiced, but it's also been identified in families where Muslims, Hindus and pagans uh, are, are, um, is, is the, the particular faith of choice. And Eleanor Stobart, back in 2006, also uh, analysed the background of child victims and did indicate that many of them originated from the Congo, with Nigeria and South Asia being the next highest locations, followed, if you like, by the Caribbean. So, this whole action plan or this whole drive, if you like, within the communities at the moment to um, shine a light on this issue isn't about challenging people's beliefs, but it's where these beliefs lead to abuse that must not be tolerated. So, belief in witchcraft, spirit possession, demons or the devil, the evil eye or jinns, Dakini, Kindoki, ritual or muti murders, and the use of fear of the supernatural to make children comply with being trafficked for domestic slavery or sexual exploitation. Now, you couldn't get more contemporary than that. The absolute attention that's been focused on human trafficking recently, there was a three-day webinar that I listened intently to that was Terrific. It was really excellently received. There was 89 countries which contributors came from. 1,500 people actually signed up for it. And it was a terrific, um, and a terrific example of what's possible across the world. Now, and in the UK, there's a parliamentary event to celebrate um, the uh, permanency of a website and of this initiative at the beginning of December. So that's where this folds into something like the witchcraft and people's beliefs and abuse within faith and belief. But I think effectively it's only as good, this plan that was put together in 2011, is only as good as the communities that implement it. And that's where I'm not so sure we've got uh, acceptance at the moment. The recommendation of the National Action Plan was that all local safeguarding children boards implement this 
uh, hold events, whether it's training events, whether it's workshops, seminars, or, or, or just some kind of conference to actually raise awareness within their particular geographical area. I'm not aware that this is happening across the board. I'm aware of a couple of events that have taken place, but I'm certainly not aware of it being a, a, an even spread across the country. People, I mean, where I am in the southwest of England, we're having an event soon that actually looks at this and wants to see how can we implement the National Action Plan. And I'll be honest with you, an awful lot of people have said to us, oh, these things only happen in somewhere like London, somewhere like the big conurbations, you know. We don't get that kind of stuff down here, you know, which, according to research, is actually nonsense. It might not have been discovered, but that doesn't mean to say, and there might not have been very many cases actually put forward or come to light, but that doesn't mean to say it's not existing. So I think people have got to rethink this um, and actually take on board the fact that an event in your geographical area would be like a beacon, I think, in terms of awareness raising and in terms of people coming from the community to actually discuss this and actually say, yeah, well, yeah, I came across this or I came across a situation like that or some of my relatives might have come across this or I'm fully aware that within our small community here that effectively it's been an issue. We need to hear. We need to hear the stories and we need to hear these voices. Now, the summary of actions, if you like, that were discussed, this engaging communities to start with. Well, for the research it's needed, of course it is. The voice of children and young people, that was clearly needed. Networks of faith leader champions, networks of community leader champions, build resistance and fam sorry, resi resilience in families, build resilience in communities and amongst faith leaders, encouraging training for parents and communities, and try and get some money, try and get some community grants for awareness raising work. That was all in the engaging communities section of the summary of this National Action Plan. And it all makes good sense, but I just wonder, I just wonder, where's the implementation nationally? Practitioners, how many practitioners in the UK, social workers, police officers, health workers, teachers, medics, how many have actually attended awareness raising training or any kind of sessions that specifically look at this kind of an issue, preparing them for the time when inevitably they'll come across it? Local safeguarding children's boards were encouraged to provide strategic leadership and to work in getting meaningful engagement of local faith communities. Patchy, I think, pretty patchy pretty kind of um, uneven right across the country. Getting an understanding of the indicators of abuse in this particular kind of, uh, under this kind of theme. I don't think many people would consider themselves to be particularly trained in this. And improving an, an understanding among those that inspect um, children's services. I bet you they haven't had much training either. 
Then you come down to supporting victims and witnesses. Well, okay, there might not be very many that have actually been discovered, but there are quite a few, a few dozen at least that we've heard about so far. And how we actually encourage a provision of community support for witnesses and how we try and look at much more joined up behaviour between the criminal justice system and safeguarding professionals on this particular issue. It's all there. It's just needing implementation. It's a much bigger subject, I believe, than people are giving it credit for. It's a far more serious subject, equal, if you like, in my view, to child trafficking or FGM or any of these other horrible practices that take place. But it just hasn't received the attention or, or seen the light of day. And I think it's about time that it actually did. The next part I want to talk about is cyberbullying. Now, cyberbullying is defined as the willful and repeated harm inflicted through the use of computers, cell phones and other electronic devices. Now, with about 80% of all teenagers on cell phones and the same on social media sites, it's time a bit, I think, to understand that Technology seems to be connecting teenagers in ways that they can't escape. And figures suggest, mainly from the States at the moment, but that one in six teenagers are actually cyber-bullied. And that means about oh, 15 or 16% of all senior school pupils. They reckon, fascinatingly, that twice as many girls are cyber-bullied than boys that the age of 15 and 16 is at, when it's at its peak. And a shocking statistic is that cyberbullying occurs at a lower rate than traditional, if you like, offline bullying. However, cyberbullying victims are more likely to commit suicide. In America, the statistics seem to suggest that only about 1 in 10 young victims actually reach out for help and the rest of it just deal with it alone. So then it boils down to how do we help? How do we get involved? What do we do? And at the end of the day, it all comes down again to awareness raising. Now, the Anti-Bullying Alliance in the UK which is a major organization. Uh, uh, there was a new survey that they had that was commissioned by legal experts Slater and Gordon in conjunction with the Anti-Bullying Alliance. And that revealed that over about half the children and young people in England accept it, accept that cyberbullying is now part of life. And yet parents and teachers, the people they're likely to turn to, don't really feel able to deal with the problem. So we're looking at next week, that is the week uh, beginning the uh, 17th, 18th of November, is cyberbullying week, is anti-bullying week. And activities uh, reveal that about 70% oh, of children would turn to their parents if bullied online, but 40% of the parents don't know how to respond. Or they don't know how to set up filters on computers. They don't know how to deal with tablets. They don't know how to deal with mobile phones. 
protective systems. And about half of the parents say that the amount of opportunities their child has had to access the internet leaves them struggling. And again, another, another survey suggested that half of the parents said that made this made them very afraid for their children. A majority of teachers and 40% of young people said that more should be taught about cyberbullying and online safety through the national curriculum. However, teachers said that the school didn't currently teach anything about cyberbullying and that was nearly half of the schools. And about a third of the teachers said they didn't have the adequate knowledge to match the behaviours of their pupils, so they can't keep up either. Now, the young people themselves, the majority said that schools need educating, parents need educating, and young people themselves, they would have the greatest impact if they were involved in combating the problem of cyberbullying. Now, the national coordinator of the Anti-Bullying Alliance, Luke Roberts, said, our research shows that cyberbullying is an everyday problem for today's children. But teachers and parents are not always able to provide the advice and support they need. So the solution is better education, not just in the classroom, but better training for teachers, better support for parents, collaboration. So the, the children themselves can take responsibility for their own safety online and they can know where to turn to for help when things go wrong. They know where to turn to that they will get the help rather than just emotional support. They'll actually get practical help. And obviously the target is to make cyberbullying a thing of the past and the children will be able to enjoy a digital future, if you like, that is safe, it's fun and it's connected. So what would be the tips for parents? Unconditional support, I think. Informing the child of what options there are in dealing with somebody that's doing that to them. Working with school teachers. Working with the parents of the person who's doing the bullying, which seems pretty crucial. Contacting the providers, the IT providers, to get content removed and to get the person who's doing the bullying blocked. Ultimately, and if necessary, contact the police. Because this is a crime. And for teachers... They need to incorporate, I think, into the national curriculum the fact that cyberbullying is wrong. They need to listen to and respond to the fact that all reports of bullying need to be given uh, good attention. It may well be useful to incorporate into schooling um, projects about cyberbullying. They need document complaints to actually show statistically just exactly what's what's actually being said what's going on bring in people to the school bring in outside people to the school who know what they're talking about to address the school and make it a free zone from cyberbullying you know actually have it as zero tolerance so just some of these things i mean the word in America that they've adopted, the actual phrase that they've adopted is words hurt more than sticks and stones and that cyberbullying is real and it's more emotionally brutal than traditional bullying. So people must stay informed and people must actually protect their children because it's 
it's become insidious, it's become a growth area, and so many of our children are being held back or frightened, and they're not able to go to parents or teachers because these parents and teachers, apart from just offering sympathy, just don't know what to do. So when next week comes along as anti-bullying week, I think all of us have got to consider anything that we can do within the work that we do, within the communities we live in, within the families that we know, within our own extended families, just to raise the matter, raise the issue, get it out in the cold light of day and actually talk about what they could possibly do to actually help this subject. I was sitting tonight waiting uh, in between some interviews I was doing for television. I did uh, an interview for Sky News about that poor little boy Hamza Khan in Bradford and the circumstances surrounding the serious case review after his death. And after I'd done Sky News and then we did a, a little bit more as a, what they call a, a recorded part to be put out later on tonight. And I had a couple of hours to wait before I went and did the BBC um, television news, the rolling programme. And I was listening to some other news and I got angrier and angrier and angrier, especially at two of the particular items that came on. Remember this, it's in a backdrop that we have today where, for example, electricity and fuel prices are going up way beyond the level of inflation. And there are families in this country, lots of them, who are having to choose between food or fuel, going cold or eating, feeding the families or actually keeping them at least warm enough, which is just ludicrous. The poverty is increasing in this country and the deprivation levels are actually going sky high in loads of our communities. And then on comes these particular pieces of news. A Francis Bacon picture in New York, sold for $140 million, $140 million for a piece of artwork. And then later on I heard that a diamond, a diamond in Geneva was sold by Christie's for £52 million. Now you add the two of them together and you've nearly got £200 million. What could that have done to alleviate a community, to give them a quality of life, to stop children scratching around on the floor for scraps, to stop elderly people freezing to death. We've got apparently got a big freeze coming, a big cold snap coming. It's going to be one of the most severe winters on record, or at least for a long, long time. And lots of our elderly people are going to die of hypothermia. Two hundred million pounds for artwork. I just think the whole thing is absolutely appalling. And people have got to really look at themselves in the mirror tomorrow morning. Now, as well as that, what I was reflecting on during that time, because I do quite a bit of television and quite a bit of radio now, and as you do with anything, just like riding a bike, you get quite experienced at it, you get quite interested in it. And suffice to say, I think I could, I can teach people quite a bit about it. And David Niven Associates, now my company, does now media training for quite a lot of groups in the country, quite a lot of people. And we're going to be offering it for far more. So firstly, obviously, if you want to get in touch about media training, please do so. 
talk to you about it, it really can get your message across in a much sort of broader community than you might well be able to. And it also gives you opportunities to learn how to use the media, broadcast media, written media, social media. Absolutely. So get in touch about that if you'd like. But just generally, I think we've got to look upon the media now as a window in the world for most of the community. And if we can get the good stories out there, if we can get the real world stories out there, and not just the fluff, then I think to a large extent, I'll feel much better about um, having made a contribution. Anyway, thanks for listening to today's podcast. I appreciate it. And um, if you'd like to register, listen more, I'd even appreciate it more. So thank you. See you next time.